following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I want to be a truthful person. I really do. It's in my heart. Uh, God gave me that heart to desire to speak the truth. But I find myself lying all the time. And so do you. You do. That's right. Every time you put an app on your phone, every time you load a new computer program, you're lying. You are. You say, how am I lying? That little section that says, I have read and agreed to the terms and conditions. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, if you read the fine print there, it goes, you now just sold your firstborn male child. I mean, it's right there. And all of a sudden, you know, I mean, there have been times when I come home and, and Jean goes, did you forget? And of course, my first one response is, no, I didn't forget. What's she talking about? <laughs> Or, uh, you know, are those cookie crumbs? No, no, that's granola, honey. You know, <laughs> Interesting enough, we find ourselves um, not always speaking the truth, and we live in an age and a society that is just absolutely saturated with deception, absolutely saturated with lies. I mean, advertising, media, politician, it's like a cesspool, and yet the Bible tells us that's exactly the way it's going to be. We are going to live in a time of deception, and it's only going to get worse as the enemy has more platform, and the Bible tells us that, right? John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. You're going to do what he wants. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand on the truth because there is no truth in him. And then he says, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what do people do who daily swim in that kind of deceptive environment to actually speak the truth or to agree or to engage in business and not lie? Well, today we've got lawyers and we have legal contracts and we have agreements, etc. But in the first century, like it is today, was very expensive and somewhat rare. And so what unbelievers did and then Christians began to imitate that, was that they made promises. They made what they call oaths. O-A-T-H. Oath. To convince others that they're telling the truth and come to an agreement. Or believe me when I say I'll give an oath. I'm not, you've probably said them, right? You've probably mentioned them maybe a long time ago or maybe even recently. I swear by God I'm not lying. Or before God I'm I will do this, or I guess God is my witness, that'll never happen, or if Jesus were here physically, he would confirm that I'm telling you the truth. That's an oath. It's a promise. And this is the world that the book of James is now exposing. Now, if you're new with us, understand that before Easter, a couple weeks, we took a little bit of a break, and then we got to Easter, and now we're back to our week-by-week exposition of the book of James. And we find ourselves in chapter 5, verse 12. If you have your Bible, open to chapter 5, verse 12 of the letter to James and follow along in your outline as we're expositing, exposing what God meant by what God said through the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, James, in this incredibly little epistle. And basically, he has written this entire letter to go through various issues that will expose a heart. Uh, We call it tests. 
He's talked about the test of speech, and he's talked about the, the test of worldliness. Well, now he's going to give us the test of honesty, the test of truthfulness. And it's going to be one verse, just 512. It's kind of a standalone verse slash paragraph that he basically deals with this oath giving, and he's wanting to examine their hearts to see if they're honest people, if they're telling the truth, okay, if they're really, really being sincere. Or are they someone who has a nature that wants to speak the truth? Or are they someone who just kind of does a lot of Christianese, appears to tell the truth, but really they don't? So in other words, James is testing us to see if we're religious or we're in a relationship. Are we genuine or phony? Are we a real believer or are we a make-believer? And today, he's going to give us this test. Again, the whole letter is made up of them of truthfulness now in verse 12. And you and I, we've probably lied as believers, but born-again Christians are not known for being liars. They don't live lies. They are not habitual liars. And the command of Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 kind of forces that issue for us. You look at that verse in your Bible as well as in your outline, the, the command is present tense, meaning not habitually lie. Paul's commanding the Christians, do not continually, ongoing, lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And what he's affirming there is that as a born-again believer, you're not the same anymore. You look the same on the outside, but you are not the same internally. You have a new nature, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and therefore you have a desire to speak the truth, to tell the truth, to live honestly, not deceptively. So, the new internal you wants to obey God's word, which is to tell the truth and not lie. And because you have been made new, then basically you have a heart that will not flippantly oath something or try to manipulate someone by saying a promise that you don't mean. And that's what James is addressing here. Promises that you don't mean. You really want to manipulate someone to believe you when you're actually lying to them. And that's the undertone of what's happening here. Christian, you know this, right? You submit to the Lord of truth. Amen? You believe in the word of truth. Amen? You're indwelt by the spirit of truth. Amen? Therefore, we are people of truth. We want to speak the truth, be honest about truth. It is demeaning when you have to promise that you're telling the truth because you have a nature that wants to tell the truth. Therefore, you're violating the very nature that God gave you. When you give an oath, that you promise something that you don't intend to fulfill. A true Christian, by nature, is a person of truth, saturated in truth, and to be known for truth. Not perfectly. We're going to mess up from time to time. But the progress of our life is we want to speak and tell the truth and live honestly. Now, because the instruction on oaths is only one verse, doesn't mean it's not important. It's something that James wanted to make sure that you really felt the punch for, all right? We need this because we all battle with deception at some level, and all of us are prone to live by our feelings and live by other scenarios and not by the truth. And so all of us need to work harder at speaking the truth in love. All of us need to make sure that we don't have to boost our talk with a promise or with an oath so that people would know that we are people of truth because the truth is powerful enough to stand on its own. Therefore, read aloud with me James chapter 5, verse 12 
and let's exposit this particular single verse today. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Here we go. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Now what James is teaching us, first in your outline is number one, determine to speak distinctly. Distinctly. Say what you mean, mean what you say. James says, but above all, my brethren, stop there. You say, wait a minute, why are you stopping there? Because you need to understand why that contrast, but, is there. See, in verses 7 through 11, he talked about oppression. He talked about how to survive when things are really dark, when you're suffering massively. For some of the believers here, they were being persecuted. I get this. Some of them were being tortured for their faith in Christ. And then he says, but you, brethren, do something different. Now, why does he contrast you know, living under oppression with now don't lie. Because when you're under oppression, there's a greater propensity to lie. Are you with me on this? When someone's torturing you to say something, he's saying, look, don't swear by that. Don't give an oath by that. Don't, don't give in to that pressure. Don't be forced to do that. And James is saying, look, I'm in this with you. What does he say? He says, my brethren... We're, we're family here. This is something I'm talking to you about, that this is my temptation as well. I'm going to be tortured for my faith. I'm, I'm going to want to make sure that I'm not giving an oath or making a promise, you know, to stop the pain, so to speak. So this verse, again, is talking about our speech. And if you've read this letter carefully, the book of James, you know that every chapter in this five-chapter little book speaks about our speech. It teaches us about our tongue. And it's over and over again because our speech is a thermometer to our soul. Our speech, our talk, exposes our heart to people. It shows others what's really in our heart. And it's evidence if you're truly born from above, born again, made new, or are you just in the flesh, in your own strength. He's trying to help us to understand that. Remember James chapter 1, verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religious is what? His religion's worthless. Despite any outward veneer of religious activity, and boy, do we have a lot of that, a lot of religious activity today, those who fail to control their tongues at all are proving that they are not genuine Christians. And again, we're not talking perfection here, but progress. You're dealing with dealing with your tongue. You're, you're, you're going after it. So verse 12, along with his tender family affection, calling them brethren, the apostle also strongly exhorts his readers with a but above all. And that above all is telling us that the command which follows is preeminent. This is important to James. It's like saying, hey, my family, especially obey this. Now, this custom was dominant in the Jewish culture. And these churches are filled with mainly Jewish believers, and therefore he's saying, we can, we've got to stop the errant process of this custom. Now, it does relate to our deception. It does relate to our truth-telling, but it's actually speaking about oaths here. So number two in your outline, refuse to promise by swearing an oath. Refuse to promise by swearing an oath. Look at verse 12. Right in the middle there, he says, the command, do not swear. 
either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. James says, do not swear. Now, he's not talking about cuss words. He's not talking about illicit speech, dirty talk, filthy jokes, four-letter words. God in his word forbids all that kind of communication when he says, never speak to anybody that's not edifying. He's already told us to not go down that road with cuss words, so to speak, or uh, harsh language in our particular vernacular. Genuine born-again Christians do not use cuss words. They don't. That's not to be a part of what we do, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's just talking about that non-identifying talk. Cuss words, you know, are often used in the same way oaths are used. Cuss words are used to emphasize or accent one's feelings about certain things and thoughts and disgusts or opinions about a topic or a person. But here, he's not describing cuss words. James is prohibiting the swearing of oaths. A little bit different. That's what he means. He's continually commanding you not to swear an oath. Now, in this flippant way, the Jews of James' day had developed this complex system of swearing oaths, and these Jewish Christians have now made their way into the church. And so this process is going on in the church family, and James is saying, I want you to stop this process. I want you to stop it. What does he mean, though, when he says in verse 12, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath? Now, in the ancient world, there were two evil practices that he wants destroyed. They're there in your outline, one and two. And the first one, in the Jewish world, there were oaths which were binding and oaths which were not binding. Okay, so number one, binding or not binding. He wants that to stop. Any oath, are you ready? Get this. That was directly using the name of God was binding. Anytime you use Yahweh or in a Christian, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, then that was a binding oath. And then anything else was not binding. Anything else that not directly mentioned the name of God, that's not binding. The idea was, once God's name was used, that God became an active participant in your oath giving and that transition transition or transaction. But then, in their warped thinking, when the Lord did not become a partner, when you didn't use God's name, then it wasn't binding. Are you tracking with me so far? So what happened here is the result of this process that became a matter of skill and manipulation to try to make people think, oh, he's giving me a binding oath, but you're not using the name of God. You're using other things about God, but not God's name himself. Are you getting it? That's where they went down this road. And so they were starting to manipulate people. They would make it sound like it was a binding oath, but it wasn't binding. And this ultimately made a mockery of the whole practice of confirming anything by an oath. And James says, I want that stopped. That's number one. Not this binding, non-binding name of God and anything else about God. Then what else was happening, too, was that there was just a massive amount of oaths using everything other than the name of God to make you think that was the name of God, but you weren't really using the name of God. Are you tracking? Okay, so they would say, the temple, or, or heaven, or earth, or something they would take an oath by that would make you think, oh, this is a binding oath, but it wasn't a binding oath. So sadly, that practice of frequently oath-stating was proof of the prevalence of lying and the prevalence of cheating in that culture. Gosh, in an honest society, you don't need an oath, do you? You just speak what you mean and mean what you speak, and therefore it's only when men and women cannot be trusted to tell the truth, they have to be under oath or give an oath. An oath is like a vow. 
An oath is like a promise. It's an additional formal word given to affirm the truth. Now, in saying that, don't freak out here, understand that the Bible does not forbid taking oaths or giving oaths. It doesn't forbid it. You're going to get that feeling that it does in this context, but when you look at the totality of Scripture, you're going to see, no, it doesn't, and that's really not what he's saying here. The Bible doesn't forgive, uh, oh, forgive, forbid uh, taking oaths or giving oaths, uh, and the world filled with liars, there are times when oaths and vows and promises are necessary, right? In a court of law, you take an oath. Many of you, most of you in this room, you made a binding oath when you said, I do promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband or wife, right? You made an oath in plenty and in what? In joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live, right? So divorce is not an option, but murder is. There you go. So it's not wrong. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, it's not wrong to take an oath, okay? When testifying in court, when being ordained, or when promising to be faithful in marriage. Oaths to God are wrong, get this down, when they're misused. When they're misused with the intent to deceive others. You know, you're going to make it sound like it's the name of God, but it's not. You know, that kind of thing. Or when they're made rashly or flippantly. God's Word gives examples of godly men who took oaths. Uh, it lists God's commands for oaths to be taken. The Bible teaches how a oath is to be given and taken, and it records instances of God himself making an oath. So oath-taking is not evil in and of itself. It can be abused. So examples, Abraham, Genesis 21 and 26, was doing oaths. Joshua 2 records the oath of Rahab. David swore an oath to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20. Jephthah made a foolish vow in Judges 11. Paul made a vow to God in Acts 18. And then add to those oaths, uh, Luke 173 refers to an oath which God swore to Abraham, our father. In Acts 2, it describes an oath God swore to David. In Exodus 6, 8, it records God's oath that he would give the land to the people of Israel. There are oaths in the scripture, some of them even given by God. So not all oaths, vows, promises are wrong. They're not. So James's command is to not swear. And when he says that, that statement, that command must not be viewed as a blanket restriction against all oath giving and taking. Oaths were permitted on serious occasions like a marriage, like a you know, legal contract, but only in the name of the Lord. James does not forbid oathing in the name of the Lord, but look at verse 12. Look at it again. What does he forbid it? By heaven or by earth or with any other oath. James is addressing church attenders who would not swear by God, but they would swear by where God lived, heaven. Or they would swear by <laughs> uh, where God worked, earth or by where God is worshipped, the temple, or by some other earthly place. They would swear, but, you know, something around God to make you think it was God, but it wasn't God. And they did this, and James says, that's wrong. You, you make your promises to God, uh, just like Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Take a look at Matthew 5, 33 and following. It says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. 
But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or by the throne of God, again, all these things around God, but by the earth, or for that is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, neither shall you make an oath by your head, whether you have gray hair or black hair or whatever, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond this is evil. Swearing an oath by anything except God is is like swearing by your dinner plate. But that would be uh, dish honest, if you follow what I'm saying. So, I worked hard at that. So the, the phrase at, here in Jesus' statement, you have heard the ancients were told, is, is not the Old Testament rabbinic uh, you know, uh, t- teaching, but it is the rabbinic tradition. So it's not Old Testament verses, it's rabbinic tradition. And notice the declaration, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Again, some vows are good. That's what he's saying. But what appears on the surface to be in harmony with the Old Testament teaching regarding the sacraments of taking oaths is basically a sneaky escape clause. What's in the midst of this is a sneaky escape clause. What appears on the surface to be in harmony here is the rabbinic teaching only held that those to the Lord were binding. Again, one more time. And in their thinking, God was the only party to an oath, and if his name is invoked. But all other oaths, they thought, could be, and were intended to be violated. This is what they were doing. So this is what James is saying, don't do this anymore. Uh, In other words, they could violate the other oaths that didn't contain the name of God, even though it talked about heaven and it talked about the temple, and it talked about all the things that were very sacred in their hearts, but they basically, they intended those to be violated without committing perjury. So, it's like the person, you've done it, maybe as a kid, remember? You looked at somebody, and your hand was behind your back, and you said, I promise to do this, but what? Your fingers were crossed, right? And that's what they were doing in the Jewish culture. They're saying, oh yes, I'm doing this by the temple of God, I'm going to keep my word, but it was like their fingers were crossed behind their back. They were not being sincere. These fake believers were attempting to deceive others. They'd swear by heaven, Jerusalem, the temple, the altar, the veil of the temple, their own heads, anything but the name of the Lord, and this type of oathing was designed to hide their lying hearts. It was meant to be deceptive. And listen, friends, A spirit-transformed heart will want to speak honest speech. You will want to be true. Even when you find it painful, you'll want to be true. How people speak is one of the most revealing tests of what's in your heart. It really is. What's on your mind. People almost sin more with their tongues than anything else. Maybe their thought life takes number one. But basically our tongues, because we can't do everything, but we can say anything, right? And therefore we sin with our tongues. And it's no wonder that Jesus declares in Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. I'm going to write this down. The heart is a storehouse, and people's words reveal what's kept there. The heart is a storehouse, and people's words, your words, reveal what's in your storehouse, what's in your heart. So number three in your outline, choose to speak honestly, simply, directly, and clearly. Choose to speak this way. He adds in verse 12, but your yes 
is to be what? Yes. And your no is to be? No. That's right. Like Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, James is calling for simple, straightforward, honest, direct, clear speech. Listen, say what you mean and mean what you say. One more time. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Christians are those whose yes is yes, whose no is no. People of integrity have no need to elaborate with a promise or an oath to convince others of the truthfulness, nor will people of character swear falsely in order to deceive people. That's why Jesus taught in Matthew 5.37, anything beyond this is of evil. Again, neither James or Jesus prohibits swearing of oaths under special God-centered, Christ-exalting circumstances, but under normal, everyday circumstances, oaths and promises are unnecessary if your heart's been transformed. If you have been turned into an honest individual by the work of God. So how do you demonstrate our love for truth and honesty? Let me give you some ideas. There's many more things we could say. This comes out of the text as well. First in your outline, speak with simplicity, not complexity. Speak with simplicity, not complexity. Say what you mean, mean what you say. James and Jesus tell you to respond with circumstances with a simple yes or no Answer succinctly and authentically. True Christians, their character requires few words. Anyone who has to use a lot of words to justify what they've said is manifesting bad character. Because where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. It's going to happen. If you're a true man and woman of integrity, a born-again believer, then all you have to say is yes or no, and people will believe you. Like Jesus said, anything beyond that is evil. All right? Simple. Number two, secondly, speak with truth, not deception. Speak with truth, not deception. As you grow in maturity, don't merely talk more about the Bible. Talk the Bible. Talk the Bible. Allow the truth to be to what you talk about. Not a hammer, not in pride, not to appear pious, not to control the conversation, but to filter everything you think and everything you talk about through the lens of God's Word. So let me help you. When you're bothered by a political leader, and none of us here in this room are ever bothered by political leaders. I know that. I hear it all the time. And this political leader, what he says in the news, say out loud, say it out loud, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Remind yourself who is in control. Amen? I know you're bothered. It's crazy. This is crazy time, crazy world. But who's in control? God. God is in control. When you ponder about things you don't understand, say, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Say it verbally. Go there or you're going to go down a weird path. You don't understand it, you got to trust him. When circumstances don't make sense, Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you know if you have a problem with lying, if you struggle with that, not everybody has the same struggle, but if you're one of those that struggles with that, not only should you memorize Colossians 3, 9, do not lie, but you should pursue truth, pursue living the truth, loving the truth, speaking the truth out loud. The more we do, then the less we'll lie. When the truth is made known and verbalized, the less we're going to go down the road of deception. Thirdly, speak with edification, not severity. Speak with edification. Let 
Ephesians 4.29, no unwholesome word, what? Proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for, everybody, edification, building you up according to the need of the moment, specially timed, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Speak no unwholesome, rotten words. If you're upset, you're mad, be quiet, go pray. Calm your heart down, do not speak. Don't speak them. Wait. Only words that build. This word edify is to encourage. It's to minister to what they're lacking. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't be confrontational. It just means that you're doing so to build them up and to love them and to encourage them to edify and to bless. Intentionally timed. Notice there, according to the need of the moment, intentionally timed. Sometimes you have to wait. I know that our society tells you, speak what you think and what you feel. Do it right away. And the Bible says, don't. Don't wait for the need of the moment. Wait until it's the right time to talk about this and that it would give God's grace and give grace to those who hear. Speak the truth in love like Christ. Be full of grace and truth. Truth-driven churches, and we are one. We love the truth. We live by the truth. We need to work hard at being more gracious. Gracious churches where they compromise, they need to work at being more truthful. But no matter what, Christ was perfectly full of grace and truth. Are you getting it? Both. Say the truth in the most gracious way possible. Use edifying, well-timed, loving, gracious words. The truth is powerful enough to stand on its own. Fourthly, this is a big one. Speak with doctrine, not feelings. <laughs> Far too many believers speak emotionally, not doctrinally. Too many Christians today are all about emotions and feelings and experiences. And they only step out in obedience when they're moved by the truth. They only speak well or obey God or serve if they feel like it at the moment. They only love others or sacrifice for others or give to others when they feel an emotional moment of love. Everything with Christ is only spiritual for them if they feel something. How they feel. Am I emphasizing that enough? About Christ, what their faith and speech is all about. What they feel about Christ is their faith. And if they don't feel anything about Christ, they're really not, in their view, walking with Christ. Listen, friends, the Christian life is not about what you feel. One more time. The Christian life is not about what you feel. The Christian life is about what you know and who you know. Animals live by instinct. People live by feelings. Christians live by truth. The truth of God's word. We live by doctrine. Some believers get offended by others and they want to speak to them in the flesh, never considering what the word of truth and the word of God says. We need to be those who speak the truth. There are others who won't speak or serve until they get their emotions back. They don't feel like it, so they don't do it. They don't feel like going to church. When their emotions are gone, attending church wouldn't be real worship if they went, so they don't obey because they don't feel like they should go, therefore they don't go. Since they don't feel like showing love to their wives, since they don't feel like respecting their husbands, it would be hypocritical to them. It would be not spiritual to them, not a spiritual action to them, so they don't do it. 
They're waiting for their emotions, which are fickle, which sometimes never come. They don't feel like reading their Bibles because it's a dry experience without emotion, so they don't do it. Why? Because no emotion is involved. Therefore, in their minds, it can't be genuine or gospel-driven. Are you getting this? We're not to live by feelings. Don't guide your mouth by your emotions. You need to guide your mouth by doctrine, by what the Bible has to say, they speak only emotionally. Their entire life is about getting their emotions back. I used to deal with young guys who were leading worship up front, you know, in student ministry, and they're going, oh, I just don't feel right right now. I go, get out there and obey God. <laughs> right now, okay? And we'll just trust that the emotions will come. And they'd come back going, you were right. You know, come on. Just be obedient. Their entire life is about getting their emotions. They must have emotions or they think they, they can't be sincere. Listen, in reality, you know what you're doing when you do that? When you live this way, you've made a God out of your glands. You have put faith in your feelings, not in Jesus Christ. Write that down. A God of your glands. Your faith is in your feelings, not Christ. And the objective word of God. Now... I am not appealing this morning, and this is the accusation that will be thrown back at me, I am not appealing for a hollow, rote, ritualistic, going through the motions Christianity, but I am calling you to repent of constantly surfing to find the waves of emotion. You're constantly surfing so you get your emotions back. You and I need to speak and live by conviction, by doctrine, by truth, by the word of God. Do what's right until it feels right. Write that down. Do what's right until it feels right, and do what's right until it feels right. Just keep doing what's right until it feels right. Just do it. Just like oaths kept believers from speaking honest, emotions keep Christians from speaking truthful. Our job is not to seek emotions, but to seek God. Not to speak feelings, but speak truth. Did you catch that? Our job is not to seek emotions, but seek God. You can trust the Lord with or without emotions. Faith is not an emotion. Agape love is not an emotion. We must live by faith and speak with love with or without emotion. We obey. The Christian life is obedience with or without emotion. Now, I know this is popular in our day, but we have really messed this up. You obey because that alone pleases the Lord. So choose to love your spouse, even when she doesn't deserve it. Choose to love your husband, even though he is not what he should be. When you don't feel like it, love him anyway. Because that is what spirit-filled godly Christians do to obey God. You attend worship because you trust God to change your life with or without emotions. You serve when you are weary and tired. That's what Christ did. He was absolutely exhausted and he kept ministering. There was no emotion there. You speak to others with edifying words even when you don't feel like it because it's right. For a generation, this has happened in the last 50 years, we have been drawn away with words like pleasure, heart, joy, satisfaction, desire of the inner person to the point we become addicted to and dependent upon emotion. 
Desiring God is a good thing, but not if your life is dependent on emotion. That is not what the Bible teaches. The psalmist would say, when you're afraid, you put your trust in me. Like Job, though he slay me, still I will put my hope in him. Wow. Contrary to everything. Listen, can you rejoice always? Can you give thanks always? Those are commands. Or you don't have to have it be emotionally happy, sappy, pappy, lappy. You don't have to do that. Don't follow your emotions. Follow Christ as revealed in his word. Speak doctrine, speak truth, speak God's character, whether you have emotions or not. Now you know this. You know this is right. In your heart of hearts, you have to affirm this. You don't wait for a feeling when your baby cries at 2 a.m., you go feed him. And every mother in this room knows that. The last thing they want is to get up. But they go. And they obey. Don't wait for a feeling to obey God, your creator, your master, the one who redeemed you. Don't wait for that. Serve him, love him, and trust that the emotions will come. Do what is right until it feels right. Speak the truth with simplicity, honestly, biblically, not depending on emotions. And number four in your outline, number four, speak knowing your words are under evaluation. Speak knowing your words are under evaluation. The purpose of no flippant oaths, uh, speaking honestly with a simple yes or no, is found at the end of verse 12. Take a look at the very last phrase at the end of verse 12. He says, so that you may not fall under what? Oh, say it. Not what? judgment here is your motivation to speak honestly directly edifyingly not with oaths not according to emotions not with complexity your savior teaches you that every word that you say and that i say is spoken in the presence of god every word you utter mumble speak spoken in the presence of god as a motivation against swearing false oaths james literally look what he does he highlights the consequences of violating them He warns those who practice oaths will fall under judgment. Jesus even cursed or judged the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 16, for practicing false oaths. And my friends, the word James uses for judgment here is not the discipline of a believer. It's not the believer's reward. This word judgment was used back in James chapter 2, verse 13, to describe God's merciless sentencing to hell of those who lacked mercy it's the judgment the gospels use this word judgment 25 times with the idea of passing sentence james does teach that believers will make mistakes with their tongues can i hear an amen to that oh come on will you as believers make mistakes with your tongues yes you will believers will occasionally lapse into falsehood on occasion but lying will not be the unbroken pattern of your life. It will not. Not if you're a believer. And that is not James's point here. That's not what he's talking about. The judgment here is the sober warning that those who continue to blaspheme God's name through lying oaths will face eternal damnation. That's the judgment. That's the word that he uses here. This is the test of James chapter 5, verse 12. The test of true living faith. Anyone who demonstrates a habitual pattern of lying... This false oath giving 
giving evidence of an unregenerate heart. That's the test, the test of truthfulness. And that's why he uses a word that clearly articulates the judgment of a non-believer. Anyone who is characterized by a pattern of lying is proving that they're not saved. And this is why, parents, you go extra hard in your discipline when the children are lying. I'm not going to ask you to say amen, but I really want you to. That, that's, that was in my world with my boys growing up. That was the number one sin. When it was lying, extra measures were taken. The Bible teaches that the offspring of the father of lies will all lie, and those liars will be sentenced to hell. Why? Because that hell was designed for the devil and his angels, and that's where liars go. I want you to listen to how the Lord describes what happens to liars as they step into eternity. And it's not just once in the book of Revelation at the end. It's three times at the end of the book of Revelation. God tells you what he thinks of liars. I'm going to read each verse. Revelation 21, verse 8. For the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse 27. Nothing unclean will enter heaven. No one who practices abomination and all lying shall ever come into it, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 22, verse 15. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Wow. Are you getting it? God hates lying. Listen. You may have a little propensity that way. Maybe you're born again, but you still struggle with it. Just remember that. God hates lying. Let it motivate you to become a more truthful person. Let it move you. The truth is powerful enough to stand on its own. Take this home with me, would you please? Letter A, be slow to make oaths. Be fast to practice edifying talk. One of the most important daily commitments of your life is to practice encouraging talk. Don't leave this campus today. Don't walk off. Don't step into your car unless you've said three edifying, encouraging things to somebody before you leave here. Because if you don't do it now, you ain't never going to do it. Right? If you love Christ and you worship Him, then your speech needs to practice edification. For the godly, make it the goal every day this week to speak edifying words three to ten times every day. For the courageous, if you're really courageous, make it a goal to speak only edifying words in your home this week. Only edifying. Constantly be building and encouraging those around you. It'll change your home. It really will. Letter B, get aggressive against lying if you're a Christian who sometimes lies. Get aggressive against it. It could be that you lie to get your own way or you battle with feelings of inferiority or you're insecure or you want to be accepted or you, you're, you're fearful of the consequences, what they might think. You project an image, you know, you want to close a sale, whatever. Ephesians 4.25 says, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Admit it verbally. Listen. When you lie and you catch yourself in the midst of a lie with someone or you're exaggerating the truth or you're embellishing a story, stop and go, that's not true, and correct yourself. you got to stop. Stomp your foot just like I did, okay? No. 
and speak the truth. You've got to work at it. We've got to fight for it. But truth-telling is crucial. Get brothers and sisters to hold you accountable every week, sometimes every day. Know that the Lord is treasuring your efforts to be men and women of truth. And letter C, pursue salvation if you're at ease with lying. The God who made you, Christ, is the way and the, say it again, truth. The Word is truth. The Spirit of God is called in the New Testament the Spirit of truth. Hate your sin in repentance. Surrender your life to Christ in dependent faith. Believe that God sent His Son to die in your place to bear all the punishment that you deserve for your sin was all poured out on Christ. He can cover you in His righteousness, transform you internally, make you a new person so that you will love the truth, you'll want to obey the truth, and you want to honor the God who is all true. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word and change our lives. Father, that you would actually make us into men and women who are more truthful, uh, who are more honest, that don't have to back up their talk with promises or oaths. But Father, that we speak the truth in love, as gracious as we can be, and we work at edifying words. And Father, if anybody here who their tongue is, they, they see it. They, it's now exposed. It's out of control. It's constantly lying, constantly painting a picture of, of real spiritual life when there is none. Father, would you grab a hold of their heart and awaken them and drag them to yourself so that they might know what it means to be forgiven and cleansed and washed of all their sin, past, present, and future, that they might know what it's like to have a home in heaven, and they might not know what it means to know the God of truth and to live a life of truth. Father, we'll trust you for that. We thank you for it. We ask now that you would receive our worship, which means our, the behavior of our lives, our, the actions of our lives, and that you would receive that, and that you would be pleased with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.